محمد والأهل بيته التجبين الطاهرين المعصومين الذين وهب الله عنهم رجسا وطحرهم تطحيرا واللانة الدائمة الباقية لعدائهم من الآن إلى قيام يوم الدين أما بعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتابه الكريم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم صلوات من أكبر One of the distinctions of the Islamic faith in general and especially the emphasis that we see in the Shia path of Islam is about the value and importance of علم and knowledge in human society. It is about the knowledge of religion as well as the knowledge of what is known as the secular world. Quran was the last revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there was a reason why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not choose to send Surah Al-Fatiha as the beginning. The name of that surah is Fatiha. Al-Fatiha means the opening chapter. But yet he didn't, didn't send that. The first ayat to be revealed was from Surah Alaq. And there was a reason. It was in a way emphasizing the point that this is a religion and a faith which is based on the issue of knowledge. Iqra. The first word, read. Read in the name of your Lord who created. Who created the human being from one cloth. اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم The Lord who taught you by the means of the pen. So you have the word اقرأ and the word القلم right in the first verses which were revealed. And when you look at the symbolism there, you know, reading and writing are the means by which people acquire knowledge and spread knowledge. Interestingly, the second surah to be revealed after Surah Al-Alaq is the surah known as Surah Al-Qalam. So this, this symbolism is very powerful as far as, you know, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala envisions for the last ummah. That it will, it will be an ummah, you know, which gives importance to knowledge and ilm. Our prophet, you know, is known as Madinatul Ilm. He is the city of the knowledge. Our first imam is known as Baba Madinatul Ilm. He is the gate to the city of the knowledge. And if you look at Nahd Balagha, Amir al-Mu'minin says, you know, qimatu kulli imra imma yuhsin. The value of every human being is dependent on the knowledge that he has. And this is where we come to realize that, you know, for us, this issue of Knowledge, seeking knowledge and spreading knowledge is very, very important. And tonight we have gathered to celebrate the 
birth anniversary of our fifth Imam, Imam Muhammad al-Baqir alayhi salatu wasalam. who actually exemplifies this issue of knowledge and spreading the knowledge. You know, if you uh, look at the impact of our fifth Imam, and this is where you have to a little bit look at the historical background, that you have Amir al-Mu'mineen Ali, and then Imam Hassan, then Imam Hussein. And that's where the tragedy of Karbala took place. In appearance, it looked like Shia, you know, path of Islam will end with Karbala. But it survived. And it survived in a way that nobody could even think about it. And so we see that after, you know, after Karbala, those who were opposed to them, the Ahlul Bayt, they realized you cannot kill them. Because you can't do anything more than what they did in Karbala to Imam Hussein and his family. You know, so that, 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 was, that was a chapter which was closed. And they realized, okay, Shia path of Islam is going to be there. And on the other hand, when you look at the Imams who came after Karbala, Imam Zainul Abdeen first, and then Imam Muhammad al-Baqir, and then his son Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, alayhi salatu wassalam, they basically took it up upon themselves. As the Imam of their time and the Hadi and guide, to basically give a very clear and distinctive form to the school of Ahlul Bayt. And this process started with Imam Zainul Abidin. If you look at the uh, written legacy that we have from him, Saif al Sajjadiya is one, or Risalatul Hukuk is another one, and this tradition of, you know, every Friday evening he would gather. Uh, his students in Masjid al-Nabi and actually give sermons which were copied down by his students. And then if you, you see that that was the initial you know, process where this Shia thought and practice was being very clearly defined for the community. Then we come to the time of the fifth Imam. And he basically greatly expanded this education process of uh, Imam Zainul Abidin. And it's reached to the peak during the days of the sixth Imam with the culmination of what is known as Fiqh Ja'fari, you know, the Ja'fari school of uh, laws in the Muslim world. And so we have to keep in mind that even what we have in form of um, theology and jurisprudence in the Shia Islam. Yes, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq played a very important role, Imam Muhammad al-Baqir before him, and a process which was started by Imam Zainul Abidin. This is all the result of the sacrifice of Hussein ibn Ali in Karbala. This is... <clears throat> this connection is not being, you know, uh, drawn by the people in that way, but this is important that Karbala was also a way where this whole process started as far as educating the community is concerned. Let me just give you one narration from the sixth Imam where he talks about the contribution of Imam al-Baqir, his father. He says, كانت الشيا قبل أن يكون أبو جعفر وهم لا يعرفون مناسك حجهم وحلالهم وحرامهم. He says, before my father, 
The Shia community was not very well informed and educated about their own, uh, you know, path of Islam. They didn't know, did not know even the ways of doing things in Hajj. They didn't know that much about what is halal and what is haram. Until the time of Abu Jafar, which is Imam Muhammad al-Baqir, He's the one who opened up this path for them. And he clarified for them the rituals of pilgrimage for them. And what is halal for them? What is haram for them? To the extent that the community, the Shia community, especially those who are close to the Imam, they reached to that level of knowledge that the masses started referring to them for guidance. Very much different from the previous situation where these common Shias would actually seek guidance from here and there. And this was how the situation was. So our sixth Imam is actually now telling us very clearly that the Shia community basically found its roots in a way and the path to move forward with confidence with the teachers, uh, teachings and the contribution of Imam Muhammad al-Baqir alayhi salatu wasalam. <coughs> And this brings me to something which we know very, you know, every Shia child knows about it, but sometimes it is important to know the, the background of where this, this, this title, Al-Baqir, came from. Baqara, the word, basically means to dig out. Al-Baqir is someone who digs out something. And this was actually um, the title given to him reflecting his contribution. He's known as Baqir Ulum in Nabiyyin. Somebody who dug out the knowledge and wisdom of the prophets. So he is inheritor of the legacy of the Anbiya and the Mursaleen coming to our prophet, from our prophet to the Imams, one after another till the fifth Imam himself. He is the one who got the opportunity because of the sacrifice of Karbala you know, relatively more peaceful time for him to sh you know, share the knowledge uh, with, the, with the people. Not only the Shias, but also with the uh, Sunnis and, and non-Shia uh, as far as the Muslim world is concerned. But this title given to him, Al-Baqir, was actually predicted. And this prediction comes from a narration of Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari, one of the companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in that narration, this title Al-Baqir is given to the fifth Imam long before his birth. You know, we have this um, issue, even if you look at any Sunni book, about the fifth Imam, you will see Al-Baqir is his title. There is no dispute about it. This is unanimously accepted by the Shia and Sunni historians alike. 
besides our own sources, Al-Kafi and others, you know, let me give you one narration from a Sunni source of Ibn Qutaybah Dainwari. He used to live, he lived before Kulaini's time. So we are talking even before the uh, time of Bukhari and Kulaini, the Shia and Sunni, you know, compilers of hadith. And he has a book known as Uyunul Akhbar. And there he quotes, he says, according to his chain of narration, he says, Akhbarana Jabir bin Abdullah. He says, Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari narrates for us, Inna nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qala that the nabi said to me, to Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari, Ya Jabir, inna ka sata'am tu'ammir ba'da hatta yulad li mawludun that, O oh Jabir, you are going to live so long after me until somebody will be born from my descendants. Ismuhu ka ismi. His name will be like my name. I am called Muhammad. He will be called Muhammad. Yabqarul ilm baqra. He will dig out the knowledge the way it should be dug out. فَإِذَا لَقَيْتُهُ فَقْرَعْهُ مِنِّ السَّلَامِ O Jabir, when you meet him, then convey my salam to him. You know, how many generations we are talking about? Rasulullah, his daughter Fatima, and then Hussein, then Ali, Zainal Abidin, then we come to Imam Muhammad al-Baqir. And if you look at it, in history, Jabir ibn Abdullah Ansari is the longest, you know, living companion of the Prophet. And the Prophet actually, in one narration that we hear from our sources, told him that when you do this, what I'm asking you to do, you should know that your death is now close to you. Means that will be towards the end of your, your time. <clears throat> you know, this is for those who have a problem with even believing that the Nabi knows anything about the future. No, he was not just like us. Or if I may, you know, say he was a human being like us, but we are not a Rasul like him. He had something that we don't have. And one was this access to what is known as Ilm al-Ghayb, about the future also. And so this, this is a, a Sunni uh, narration from a source before Bukhari and before uh, Kulaini. <clears throat> In our own books, we have... Uh, different, you know, uh, types of narration about this incident of Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari's conversation with Rasulullah. I would just like to present one that we have from Shaykh al-Suduq. Shaykh al-Suduq is a very prominent, reliable source of hadith for us. And in his book, Al-Amali, he basically goes through his chain of uh, narrations all the way to Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq, alayhi salatu wasalam. And this is where the sixth Imam basically is now narrating this uh, incident where he says that the Prophet once um, had a conversation with Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari and he said, Ya Jabir, innaka satabqa hatta talqa waladi Muhammad bin Ali bin Hussein bin Ali bin Abi Talib. O Jabir bin Abdullah, you will live and be alive till you see my son Muhammad bin Ali bin 
حسین بن علی بن ابی طالب المعروف في التورات بالباقر This is we don't see it in the Sunni version of it. He says that the, the Prophet told Jabir that he is known in the earlier scriptures in Torah by the title of Bil Baqir. Al Baqir is a title given to him by the Prophet. فَإِذَا لَقِيتَهُ فَقْرِئُهُ مِنِّ السَّلَامِ O Jabir, when you meet him, convey my salam to him. And so now Imam, uh, the sixth Imam is now connecting that to the actual event because um, this is his time now. So he says, فَدَخَلَ جَابِرْ إِلَىٰ عَلِي بْنُ حُسَيْنِ فَوَجَدَ مُحَمَّدْ بِنْ عَلِي He says, one day Jabir bin Abdullah Ansari came to visit the fourth Imam, Ali Zain al-Abideen, and he found a, a young child with him. فَقَالَ لَهُ يَا غُلَامِ Jabir was looking, always, you know, looking forward to see this child about whom the Prophet had predicted. So he looked at Imam Zainullah, but then realized that this is his son. So he um, looked at Imam, who was still very young. He said, Aqbil, come towards me. And, and Imam Muhammad al-Baqir came. Adbir. Now go back. And he stepped back. And Jabir looked at his style of walking and he said, Shama'ilu Rasulillahi wa Rabbil Kaaba. By the Lord of the Kaaba, this is the same style of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then he turned to Imam Zainal Abidin and he says, Who is he? He just want to make sure now. Already seen this style of walking, you know, resembles Rasulullah. And he says, Haza ibni, this is my son. Wasahibul Amr Ba'di, Muhammad al Baqir. He, he will be the person in charge after me. And his name is Muhammad al Baqir. Faqama Jabir, Fawaka ala qadamihi yuqabbiluhuma. Jabir got up. Now that he was 100% sure that this is the person. And he goes down to respect, to show respect, not just by ki kissing his hand. Actually, he went down on his feet. He says, Oh, the son of Rasulullah, may li my life be a you know, sacrifice for you. Iqbal salama abika. You know, accept the salam of your father, Rasulullah. إِنَّ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ يَقْرَوْ عَلَيْكَ السَّلَامِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ conveyed your, the salams to you. According to the sixth Imam, he says, فَدَمَعَتْ عَيْنَا أَبِي جَعْفَرِ The fifth Imam, still young child, when he heard this, the Jabir is conveying the salam of Rasulullah to him, you know, the, the tears of joy came out. ثُمَّ قَالَ And Imam al-Baqir, still very young, says to Jabir, Ya Jabir ala abi Rasulillahi as-salam madamatil samawati wal-ard. May salam be to my father Rasulullah as long as the heavens and the earth is, are there. Wa alayka ya Jabir bima ballaqta as-salam and salam on you also on, ba, on Jabir for conveying the salam of my grandfather. Salawat upon the
I saw a narration uh, today, very interesting that this was the unique fadilat of the fifth imam, nobody has that. Where Rasulullah, you know, Hassan and Hussein were there in the presence of Rasul, he knew them. But there was no any other imam where Rasulullah had conveyed his salam in that way. And so this was a unique fadilat and, uh, you know, quality of the fifth imam. Salawat So this title, Al-Baqir, linked to the issue of spreading knowledge, comes from the Prophet. And therefore our ulama use this term where they say, Baqir ulumin nabiyyin, that he is the one who dug out the uh, knowledge and wisdom of the, of, the, of the prophets. So just, just to try to comprehend that, what does it mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the very first, you know, um, initial stages of human history, when there was this issue of malaika and Adam. And Allah says to, Ad, to malaika that I am going to make this human being, Adam, as my khalifa on the earth. And the malaika kind of had a, you know, objection in a way, in a very polite man, in manner. They said, oh, oh Allah, you know, nahnu nuqaddisu laka. We glorify you, we obey you totally, you know, whereas he as a human being has it from an earth, you know, composition. The nature is such that jealousy will be there, you know, anger would be there, greed will be there, and so he might, you know, create chaos on the earth. So they were trying to say that, what is the basis of your judgment? And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do? I want to, you know, link with this issue of baqir ulum in the knowledge of the prophets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, organized the contest between the angels and Adam. And then he showed him, you know, rem resemblance of some of the anwar, nur, the light. And he asked the malaika, do you know their names? Whom they refer to? And they said, we don't know. We, we know whatever you had taught us. And then Adam was told, and Adam basically gave the names. So right from the very beginning, we, we see that knowledge is considered to be the basis of Allah preferring a human being over the angels and appointing him as the Khalifa. And so when we talk about Imam Muhammad al-Baqir as Baqir Ulum al-Nabiyyin, you start from Adam. Adam who has been given the Asma. Then you have Nuh alayhi salam. Then you come to Ibrahim alayhi salam where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that we showed him the signs of our power and glory in the Samawat and Arab. Then you come to Musa alayhi salam with the most comprehensive Sharia and code of laws given in human history. Uh, he was the first one to receive that. And then you come to the time of Isa ibn Maryam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, gave him knowledge. It was the knowledge by which he was able to cure the blind and the leper and even bring the dead back to life. Then you go on to the time of, of our own prophet where he says, everything as far as the knowledge is concerned from Adam to the last prophet, 
you know, uh, was given to me. And then I was given things which were especially for myself. All that now is given gradually to Ali bin Abi Talib. Goes to Hassan, then Hussein, then Ali Zainul Abideen, and then it is the time of Imam Muhammad al-Baqir who gets the opportunity to spread that knowledge and wisdom for the Muslim world. Salawat Keeping that in mind, let me just, you know, end with two sayings as a message from Imam Muhammad al-Baqir about knowledge. Number one, of course, he has many, many ahadiths, but this is just two for us. Man nas ilmin hudan min Allah. If a person gives fatwa, religious rulings, to people without having the knowledge and the qualification and guidance from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, la'anathu malaikatul rahma wa malaikatul awab. The angels of mercy as well as the angels of punishment will curse that person. And whatever wrong is done by the people by following his fatwa and his opinions, the sin will go on that person because he was not qualified to give the fatwas. And if people start as following him, then he becomes responsible for whatever wrong they are doing. And this is where we have to realize that on the one hand, we say very clearly, seeking knowledge is a duty of every human being, in Islam especially. But we have to be very careful about it. You know, seek knowledge from those who know, not those بغير علم, who don't have knowledge. And on the other hand, once you have the knowledge, you share with others, but you don't give verdicts and fatwas if you're not qualified and certified to do that. This is very important these days. Because the means of, you know, spreading our information, ideas about thought has become easy for every human being now. There was a time when this was not, you know, the means of communication were not easily available. Now anyone can have any idea and they can just put it on their Facebook, Twitter, you know, social media. And this is where we have to realize we have to be careful about what we are saying, what we are spreading. It is actually a common sense. You know that when we don't know something, we go, go to those who are qualified and who are knowledge, knowledgeable about it. Yet we see that this common sense of people goes away when it comes to religion. In every other thing, they immediately will look for those who are qualified. Although we might have the ability to go and do the research about that issue, but we don't spend the time. We say, well, I'm not in this field. I don't want to do it. I'll go and get advice from somebody who knows that. And so it is very common. You know, you might have somebody who is a nuclear scientist given Nobel Prize in his field. But when he wants to buy it, you know, make a three-piece suit for himself, what does he do? Does he go and buy the material? 
and the needle and the thread and start stitching himself? No. Maybe one in a million scientists might be, have a hobby of stitching, but normally that's not what happens. He might be a Nobel Prize winner in his field, but when it comes to a simple thing, he wants three-piece suit, he goes to whom? He goes to a teller. Even that teller might be not even a literate person, but he's good in what he's doing. And so this, this is very common. A merchant wants a house. He doesn't go and start building himself. He gets a contractor to do that. A doctor has a car, it's not working. You know, you have this expensive car sometimes, you know, sitting there on the curb line of the highway. You know he must be very, you know, rich person. Doctor, lawyer, dentist, uh, maybe. They don't know how to fix their car. They will wait for somebody to come and fix it. Even when you talk about religious field, you have a mushtahid or a marja taqlid. They are not feeling well. What do they do? So, okay, let me go to Quran and Hadith. Of course, they will go to Mafatil to look for a dua, but before dua, you have to do dawa. Huh? Even a mushtahid and a marja, when they don't feel well, it's not their field, they go to the doctor to seek treatment for whatever illness that they would have. Yes, dua would be there, but dawa has to come first. And the dua would be that, oh Allah, guide this doctor to treat me in the right way and give me the good medicine so that I, you know, it helps me. And this is where we see, look, look at the example of what's going on in Qum, for example, at the moment. Unfortunately, this uh, coronavirus, you know, in Iran, it started from the city of Qum, a holy city. And what happened there? Ayatollah Wahid Khurasani was asked, by some mu'mineen, what should we do? The first thing he says is go and refer and follow the instruct, instructions of the health professionals. Then he says, this is the amal if you want to do. Ba'atullah Jafar Subhani, a prominent murderer, theologian, and a jurist in his own you know, right in Qom, leads Zuhur and Asr prayers in Masjid Azam. In the last two days, there was no namaz jamaat. People will send a petition, why we don't have a namaz jamaat in a masjid? Well, it is health, you know, uh, association's instruction. You should not have large gathering in places unless it is very necessary. All the uh, lectures in, in, in the theological colleges are closed. Even the general, you know, schools are also, also closed. Even if it comes to the issue of, you know, when you go to the haram of Hazrat Masuma, they're saying don't go and kiss or touch the zari of Hazrat Masuma inside the haram. Because it is one way by which, you know, this virus can, can spread. And so this is where we see that, okay, you have to then follow those who are expert in that field. If the uh, health, uh, you know, professionals are telling those people there that we might even have to close the haram. No more ziyarat. And then Marjay Taqlid would have to listen to that. Why? Because you are now following somebody who has the knowledge about these issues. And this is where, you know, we see that 
you know, when it comes to the issue of religion, people take it very easily. Look at the medica medical professional. Even in the medical profession, there are different levels. You might have a uh, triage nurse, for example, the first line individual who decides who will come first in the priority list. So they have some knowledge about, uh, you know, the illness. Then you, let's say, you have the pharmacist who knows about the, the medicine. Then you have the doctor who is prescribing the medicine. Sometimes maybe the pharmacist knows more about the, some medicines than the doctor himself. I'm not talking about all the doctors, but it could, it could happen because that's his field. Yet the pharmacist cannot write a prescription for you. Look at that prescription as a fatwa. The pharmacist is learned in his field, yet he will not write the prescription because he's not allowed. I don't know, there might be some areas where they are, but in general, no. Because that is the domain of the, of the doctor. And so even in the same medical professional, you have different levels. You know, some can do certain things, others cannot do this. And this is where we, when we talk about, you know, religious, uh, you know, field, it's not for everyone to give fatwa. There might be a person who is very learned, a very good teacher in madrasa, very good in teaching Quran, teaching fiqh, according to the fatwa of the marja, not on his own opinions. That's where we get into problem then. And this is where we, you might have a very good, you know, um, person, very well, good in history. A very good orator can give you a motivational speech for the community, but they might not be qualified to give fatwa. So they have to let, know their limits, and the audience also have to understand that you go for one thing to the doctor, and then you go for something else for the pharmacist. That distinction has to be kept in mind. Salawat Because sometimes we get into very unusual situation, you know, there was um, there was a lady who converted from one religion to Islam and then Shiaism. And there was a gathering of the ladies in one of the centers. She had come from out of Canada. In Toronto area, this is the problem. She might be a very good motivation for those to know, okay, what is the, what are the issues or the aspects of Shiaism which attracted her to become a Muslim and a Shia Muslim. But it doesn't mean just because somebody has come into this religion, you know, has now knowledge of entire you know, Islamic, you know, uh, sciences. So they ended up asking her, whose taqlid do you do? She said, I do taqlid of Misa Mithamar. Misa Mithamar was a companion of Amir al-Mu'mineen 13 or 1400 years ago. A very prominent and lawyer loyal, you know, uh, Sahabi of Ali, who was killed, crucified, because he loved Ali. 
And because he was praising Ali even when he was crucified, they cut his tongue. And so yes, he is a very great person for us. Inspiration. But he's not a marja or a, for you because you first of all don't have a connection with him. She was trying to say, I am following his path in praising Ali bin Abi Talib, which is true. But the question was asked about taqlid, which is a fiqh issue. And this is where we have to realize that not only those who are sitting on the member or on the podium should know their own positions and their limitations, even the audience should be educated enough to ask questions according to the expertise of the uh, speaker. Salawat The second uh, hadith that I wanted to leave as a message is uh, where the fifth Imam says, Tafaqahu wa illa fa'antum arab. Emphasizing this point of go and learn, acquire knowledge, especially talking about religion. Otherwise, you will become like Bedouins. Bedouins are known to be you know, ignorant and illiterate people. In another, he says, لو أوتيت بشعب من شباب الشيعة لا يتفقه في الدين لوجعته. If I come across a youth from the Shia youths, and this is from the, for the young people, Fifth Imam says, if I come across a youth from the Shia youths who has not studied the religion, then I will discipline him for that. I've just used a more lenient term here, discipline. You know, so Imam, Imam is being very forceful here. That I want the Shabab of Shia, the youth of the Shia to be learned in religion. And this is where, you know, uh, our community, alhamdulillah, does a good job. When they are very young, they go to madrasa till about grade 9 or 10. But then once they move on to high school or the later uh, years of the high school and then college and university, we say, well, this is the time you need to focus only on your academics so that you have a good you know, founding, good certificate, and degree so you can have a good future. And at that time, kind of, you know, we don't say it, but I'm saying on a subconscious level, then religion becomes suspended. Okay, this is the time for university, focus on that. Religious issues become, you know, secondary or suspended totally. That inshallah, when you degree, when you have the degree and you come back, you'll be able to go back to it. Well, this is where we have to realize when they, be, when they are young, where they are going into that environment, that's where they need the parents and the community more than before. Especially when we talk about high school and, and, and college years. And of course they are, alhamdulillah, we have uh, Sakhalain, you know, uh, student groups who are there on a uh, support basis of the university environment. Uh, but this is where we have to inculcate in their mind that religion cannot be suspended. Or it cannot become a secondary issue just because you are now in college and university. Yes, you have to study hard, but you cannot forget the religious part of your identity.
Let me end with, uh, you know, when, when the parents uh, take their children to uh, colleges, if they are out of town, they prepare whatever uh, basic needs that they have. Some of the things they have to make sure that your child, your boy or girl is taking with himself or herself are at least four to five important you know, titles which should be part of their own personal library. Number one, a good translation of Quran, for in English, for example, that of Ali Quli Qarai, which is available at the moment. A book known as A Code of Practice for Muslims in the West by Abdul Hadi Al Hakim, which deals with the issues, uh, you know, which we face in the Western uh, part of the world. A book entitled as 180 Questions, Inquiries About Islam. This was written by a group of scholars under the supervision of Ayatollah Nasser Makarim Shirazi. Um, there is another book known as A Glance uh, at Nahl Balagha, which is by Shahid Murtaza Mutahiri. And I'm not writing the translation of Nahl Balagha. This is a bulky thing and not easy reading either. But at least if you have this A Glance at Nahl Balagha, which is a thematic introduction to the Quran, you know, you can read different chapters of the book, not necessarily in the same order, but at least have something. That sometimes you can look at it. And the translation of the Dua book of our fifth Imam, um, known as As-Sayf as And these are also available, of course, um, electronically on uh, websites like alislam.org and other, uh, other websites. And so these are the things which should be there with every youth, you know, in order to have this tafaqqaf al-deen, so that they become learned in the matters of religion, inshallah. Salawat. امام کا یہ میسیج ہم نے پیش کیا ہے آپ لوگوں کے سامنے علم کے حوالے سے جس فیو منٹس ان اردو امام کا جو لقب ہے باقر علوم النبیین یعنی وہ امام جنہوں نے انبیاء کے علم اور حکمت کو جو ہے دنیا کے سامنے پیش کیا ہے جس طرح سے ہم نے انگریزی میں کہا تھا کہ وہ تمام علوم جو خداوند عالم نے آدم سے خاتم تک کو دیا ہے وہ وراثتاً ان لوگوں کو خداوند عالم کے لطف و کرم کے بنیاد پر ہر امام کو ملتا ہے اور پانچ میں امام کو یہ موقع ملا تھا کہ اس کو امت کے سامنے وہ شیئر کر سکیں تو ان میں جو بھی فضائل ہیں انبیاء کے جو بھی کمالات ان کے ہیں وہ اسی علم کی بنیاد پر جو خداوند عالم نے انہیں دیا ہے اسی بات کو ذہن میں رکھتے ہوئے امام کے ایک صحابی تھے جن کا نام تھا ابو بصیر امام نے ابو بصیر نے امام محمد باقر سے پوچھا انتم ورست رسول اللہ کہ آپ اور آپ جو امام جو دوسرے ہیں آپ جو ہیں رسول اللہ کے وارث ہیں وارث مال کے اعتبار سے نہیں بات ہو رہی ہے علم کی بات ہو رہی ہے تو امام نے کہا ہاں ہم سب کے سب جو ہیں ورث رسول اللہ ہیں تو اس پر جو ہے ابو بصیر نے کہا کہ رسول اللہ تمام انبیاء کے وارث تھے علم کے اعتبار سے جو کچھ خدا نے انبیاء کو دیا تھا رسول کو بھی دیا تھا 
اور اس کے علاوہ جو کچھ خدا خداوند عالم نے رسول کو دیا تھا تو آپ اس لحاظ اس لحاظ سے بھی وارث سے تو امام نے کہا یقیناً تو دین ہی آس دی فالوئنگ کوشچن کہ کیا آپ کے پاس وہ ایبلٹی ہے جو عیسیٰ کے پاس تھی اس علم کو بنیاد پر کہ آپ جو ہیں مثلا لوگوں کو شفا دے سکیں جو اندھے ہیں جن پہ جزام ہے برس ہے یا آپ مردے کو دوبارہ زندہ کر سکتے ہیں امام نے جواب بہت سمپل دیا بلی بے اذن اللہ یقیناً ہم یہ کر سکتے ہیں اللہ کی اجازت اور خداوند عالم کے اذن سے تو ہمیں اس میں تحجب کی بات نہیں کرنا چاہیے اگر خداوند عالم نے یہ کرامات اور یہ موجزات کی طاقت انبیاء اور مرسلین کو دی ہے تو وہ آئمہ جو اللہ کی طرف سے تھے اس لیے کہ جب رسول پریڈک کرتے ہیں کہ جناب جابر بن عبداللہ انصاری سے کہ تم ملو گے ہمارے اس فرزند سے جس کا نام محمد بن علی ہے اس تک میرا سلام پہنچانا اس کا مطلب یہ کہ وہ لوگ وہ ہیں کہ جو صرف ظاہری وراثت کی بات نہیں ہے یہ الہی وراثت کی بات ہو رہی ہے ان کا سلیکشن بھی خداوند عالم کے منشاہ اور مرضی اور مشیت کے مطابق ہوتا ہے اور اس لئے خداوند عالم نے ان کو وہ کرامات دیئے ہیں لہٰذا انبیاء کے موجزات اور آئمہ کے موجزات کو سننے کے بعد یا پڑھنے کے بعد ہمیں تحجب نہیں کرنا چاہیے اس کی بنیاد صرف علم ہے اور کچھ نہیں ہے وہ علم جو خداوند عالم نے ان خاص بندوں کو دیا ہے خداوند عزقل بار قبول فرما ہمارے گناہوں کو بخش دے ہمارے توفیقات میں اضافہ فرما خداوند ہمیں توفیق دے کہ صحیح معنوں میں ہم محمد آل محمد کے اس راستے پر عمل کر سکیں جو بھی شیعان علی ہیں خداوندہ ان کو اپنے حفظ امان میں رکھ پوری دنیا میں مسلمان غیر مسلمان شیعہ سنی کافر مسلم جو بھی یہ کرونا وائرس کے اس بلا میں مبتلا ہوئے ہیں خداوندہ سب کو شفا عنایت فرما امام کے ظہور میں تاجل فرما انکانت السمی العمی علیم